Follow Without Warning Podcast Season 3, Investigation Derailed with Sheila Waisaki on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Without Warning Podcast presents Season 3, Investigation Derailed. Come behind the curtain with private investigator Sheila Waisaki and examine a major injustice. Warning, the following episode contains elements that are graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. Our society places a lot of trust in experts. With all their education and experience, we figure they must be smarter and more observant than lay people are. But even experts can be way off base, like when Time Magazine wrote in 1968 that, quote, online shopping, while entirely feasible, will flop, end of quote. Good thing the founder of Amazon didn't listen. The police should be experts in investigating crime, but you can only find answers when you are willing to ask questions. By not checking the forensic evidence and asking if it really added up to a case of suicide by train, they have made themselves look as out of touch as Time Magazine was about online shopping. Hi, I'm Danielle, and I am part of the Forensics Group, which is filled um, with some wonderful nurses, podcasters, and just some really smart, observant crowdsources. And together with a couple other, the PIs and a forensic specialist, we are just breaking down the evidence, the crime scene, and the autopsy reports um, to figure out really what happened to Katie a river and Aiden and what makes sense in the case and what doesn't make sense because the science doesn't lie. So what the forensic group first did is we started with the incident reports. What was reported by law enforcement and also what was missed by law enforcement. After that, we received the autopsy reports, which we just went over as a group. We took every single paragraph as far as breaking down the external, uh, the external injuries, internal injuries from head to toe on both River and Katie and examined what made sense, what didn't make sense in those reports, and really how those injuries stood out to us. Could those injuries have been caused by a train, by another type of vehicle that caused that blunt force trauma? After the autopsy reports, we were able to obtain some photographs, which some matched up with the autopsy reports, and a lot did not, and left us with more questions than answers. Most poignant to me was no blood at the scene. And once we saw her injuries, it didn't make sense to what was on the autopsy report. The crime scene has no blood. And if you think a train is going to hit her, at that speed, there would be limbs, there would be hair, there would be bone, there would be skin everywhere instead of a really smallly contained crime scene. My name is Jessica. I've been a nurse for going on 10 years. I mainly work in long-term care, but have done a little bit, you know, watching surgeries and things like that, and just really enjoy being able to help Vicki and the Hall family find some justice through this. 
first by reading the autopsy and then seeing the photos, I was expecting to see something a little different. I was thinking maybe what I'm calling an incision type injury to her abdomen would have been a little deeper the way it was just described in the uh, autopsy based on Aiden's leg being able to be out beside her body. Once looking at the pictures, I just really have no idea how his leg would have been able to come out to land there right beside her body. Also, she was found on her back. If she was three by a train, there's no injury to her back. Like if she landed on her head or her back, nothing like that. Also, just some other things, the police are trying to say that River was through, and that's also their reasoning for how the tissue landed where the tissue landed. Well, River weighed more than the tissue, so how did River go further than where the tissue was found? The tissue was only there on the rocks on the train tracks, and and if they looked, it wasn't in the grass or anything like that that they mentioned. It was like it just stopped right there where you would be able to visibly see it. Aaron mentions that there was money missing out of an envelope or something at the house, maybe I think $500 or something like that. But the police never mentioned finding that on Katie in the truck. They mentioned finding $2 in her pocket on the autopsy. So if she took the money, where did that money go? If she drove the truck, her keys weren't found in the truck, on her, or around her. And and her clothing being the way it was, I'm going to call it cut, is right down the seam of her pants. And I just don't see a train incident being that precise about cutting clothing. So if she had these injuries to the abdomen, her shirt wasn't cut or anything like that. It was just like it was pushed upward with no blood on it. Um, My name is Marina. I work in immunology research and I'm helping with this because, I mean, first of all, I found out about this case when I was probably about the same gestation as Katie. So I think it just really is a case that pulls at my heartstrings. And also Katie's a horse girl and I'm a horse girl. So, you know, I think the way that we were initially described the wounds and the injuries Maybe I could get in my head and be like, okay, well, you know, maybe it's a train, maybe it's a piece of farm equipment. Or even after I saw the pictures, John Lorden was making a pretty good observation, like maybe it's a cow catcher. But then I remember the wounds, the very incision type wounds. And I remember the clothes that don't fit with the wounds that are (laughs) underneath of them. And as compelling as the new photos were with the tissue, I can't comprehend how the wounds, the clothes, and the alleged train would match up. I mean, that's my biggest takeaway from all of this. I can't comprehend how these wounds that are so incision-like would be made accidentally. It just doesn't fit for me. Hi, I'm Rebecca, and I am a nurse, and I'm also a mom, so I think that's why I resonate with so many of these cases is that um, just picturing that it could be one of my kids. I also participated in one of Sheila's work weekends, and I think I was hooked from then. So what initially jumped out at me when we were first going over the pictures, the crime scene pictures, is that I feel like, like everyone else said, there was a lack of blood. 
So that doesn't match up. And then I feel like there would have been more head trauma if she was thrown good distance and landed on the gravel. There would be abrasions on her face and her head. There would be internal head trauma. And there was none of that. And so that was pretty obvious to me that it didn't match up with the rest of the story. And then another observation I had was that when we looked at the crime scene pictures, there were pieces of her tissue placed in different areas along the train track and along the side of the train track. And so my question was, you know, did anyone take the time to analyze the pieces, match them up, try to figure out what part of her body they could have come from? Because that would have been important for several reasons. You could have figured out, could she have been thrown? Would it be possible from a physics standpoint to be thrown and landed where she landed and for the different pieces to be end up where they ended up? Also, one of the theories that we have discussed in our group is could the tissue have been removed to hide some um, damage to her body, such as a tire track or some type of marking that could have been traced back to a particular piece of equipment, a certain type of car or truck. And so maybe if those pieces of tissues had been analyzed, you could have found additional evidence. You could have found a portion of a tire track. You could have found something that may have been able to link it to what she was actually killed by. My name's Kirsten, and I actually went to school studying pre-med and biochemistry, thinking I wanted to just straight go into patient care. Um, I did a lot of clinic work and here and in other countries, so I've seen a lot of patients. And then kind of when I graduated, I had to take a gap year or a couple <laughs> to kind of focus on my health, and that's how I found Sheila's podcast, and that's kind of what really got me hooked on true crime and crimes in general. And then it kind of re-brought awake within me my interest in forensics because originally that's what got me interested in science. And that's kind of how I ended up here. So kind of from the beginning when we first got everything, there was kind of a picture in my head of almost what things would be. And when we got everything, it didn't add up. Getting further into that, there, it just kept being that there were more gaps with pieces that I wanted to fill, but I couldn't. And that's kind of where it came about in a group where I started researching everything. I would look up case studies. I would look up um, different medical journals. Anything I could find to try and add up to what we had, I would try and figure it out, but I couldn't. It left us with more questions than answers, really. And then finally seeing the pictures... There was a huge gap even between the pictures and what we saw on all the reports and everything. And that was big for me. And I knew that there were certain large injuries, but seeing the scale of the injuries and pictures was totally different than what I expected. And I think a big thing, I've talked a lot about it in our groups, is the femoral artery. As a normal person, you, when you hear the femoral artery, you probably understand that that's going to be a big deal. But when you truly understand what the femoral artery does, and that it's the main blood supply to the lower extremity, and then to see the scene and there's nothing, no blood, nothing, it doesn't make any sense. Hi, I'm Wendy. Um, I'm a true crime podcaster. Um, I met Sheila originally at CrimeCon a few years ago and joined in some of the sessions she was running there, which is how I got involved in this case. And I basically just want to help the family try and get justice. I don't want to repeat what everyone else has already said, so I want to concentrate on River. I didn't really understand until I saw the photos quite how far away from the bank River's body was found. And also from looking at the photo, it just looks like 
and I don't mean this disrespectfully, but it could just be trash or a piece of clothing. I don't know how they could have distinguished from the bank that that was a baby. I mean, until you were very close up on that photo, you couldn't see. So from the distance away anybody could have been, I don't see how they could have known that that was a body. Yeah, so looking at the photos as well of um, Katie and seeing Aiden's leg, I mean, firstly, the leg is in a very unusual position compared to any of her wounds. So I'm not sure how it could have got there. And also, the leg is completely clean when you look at the clean, the close-up photo of that. And so I don't understand how it could possibly be clean unless it's been washed or there was not enough rain from what we've seen that that could possibly have washed away any blood or mucus or tissue or anything that could have been on the leg. Yeah. It's like someone just took it out of a bag or something and placed it. There's no mark on it. There's no gravel. There's no dirt. There's no leaves. There's nothing. Well, and I think Sue made an excellent comment on the group discussion last Sunday. She said, we don't have pictures of after Katie was removed from the scene. So what did it look like underneath not only Katie, but Aiden's leg? Hi, I'm Kelly. And for 30 years, I've been involved in education for emergency medical services personnel, emergency room docs emergency room nurses. And so the first thing is the, the most dreaded call for an EMS person is a pedestrian auto. There are very few pedestrian trains. There's no way that her injuries could be a train. The injuries would be so much more horrific. The other thing is, I don't know if I've heard this, is did anyone do a current study? The currents of that pond because that body is going to drift, river's body is going to drift based on how the currents are, how much rain there was, you know, all that kind of stuff. So that would explain maybe why the body ended up where it ended up. But anyway, you guys have done a great job. I'm, I'm really impressed with, with everybody. My name is Wendy, and I have been a nurse for 20 plus years. I have a background in OBGYN, and I'm also a private investigator. What I noticed the most was the uh, incisions on Katie's abdomen and leg, as everyone has said, is it looks like an incision. It doesn't look like a rip. And the abdomen cut goes from up, it's like a U-shaped curve. And Aiden would be in the lower part of her uh, abdomen, right above the pubic bone. And the cut did go across that. I saw in the pictures of um, Katie and Aiden that Aiden had an incision or a cut, a slice on his back that could have been, in my opinion, whoever made the incision went a little too deep, cut Aiden's back. It looked like he had two cuts made onto him. And then for the leg to be out, for Aiden's leg, his left leg, to be outside of her body, I'm not sure how that happened. There was uh, opening in her side where it looked like her intestines were coming out of that opening. And then she also had a huge opening right at her hip where her hip bone is. And I believe that somebody manipulated the fetus or Aiden and somehow the leg came off and ended up outside of her body. And I'm just not sure how that happened or why. I do feel that it ranged for Aaron. He was so obsessed, for lack of a better word, with Aiden and the firstborn son. And I want to display him at the funeral home. You know, that's just, that's strange. And so was he wanting to go in and do something with Aiden or have him? I'm, I'm just not sure. It just leaves a lot of questions.
There are over 90,000 people missing at any time, and over half a million are reported missing every year. And that's just in the United States. I'm Mike Morford. And I'm Jess Betancourt. And in our podcast, Missing Persons, we discuss cases of people who have gone missing under mysterious circumstances. And we're joined in each episode by guests who are either related to the missing person, investigating their disappearance, or advocating for answers in the case. Missing Persons is available everywhere you listen to podcasts, and there are dozens of episodes to binge on right now. Subscribe today so you don't miss an episode. If my crowdsourcers, most of whom are not experts, can see the areas that raised red flags why didn't Berkeley County investigators see them and investigate further? I wonder if any of them looked at the scene and asked themselves any of the questions we are asking. And if they did, why didn't they work this case further than they did? I don't know exactly how it got to be there, but looking at the picture, it almost looks like there's more like a little pool of water with a little bit of blood. If you've ever seen blood mixed with water, how it just kind of spreads. So it honestly, to me, in my opinion, looks more like water that had a little bit of blood that just made it look like more was there. Even though it's not a big area at all, anything consistent with her injuries whatsoever. But when we kind of zoomed in on the picture, it just looked like there was, a, you know, more water there. One thing I found odd, the um, shoe that was found a, the furthest away from her body was laid on top of what looked like tire tracks. And as far as I know, there was no impressions of tire tracks or anything made that we've seen or heard of. And I, I just, I found that kind of odd. And the shoes look really clean to have been her running in them, walking in them, whatever, and then being thrown around. They're white. There's no blood on them. There's no grass on them, anything like that, on either one of them. The majority of Katie's, what I call her major injuries, are like from her chest area to right above her knee. If she, in my opinion, were hit by a train or something like that, I would expect to see more on her arms or below her knee, at least some cuts or a bruise, more than just, you know, the one or two she has on her arms. Except on the left wrist, it does, there's some marks on her wrist that almost look like lig ligature marks around her wrist, like if something were tied around it. The both bones in the left wrist were broken. And she's got some laceration cut, not incision type cuts, but these are jagged rough on her, some of the fingers on her left hand. They are rough, jagged, not clean like the ones to her leg, hip area, and abdomen. At the scene, Katie's right foot is clean. There's no sock on her foot. There's no dirt on the bottom of her foot or anything like that at the scene. But on the autopsy table, the bottom of her foot is dirty. And that might be she got some dirt as they moved her body. I'm not sure. There was what looks like a rock in the in the bottom of her right pant leg on the autopsy table and her leg had been moved it was found kind of her right leg was found kind of outward at the scene on the autopsy table it was tucked under her left leg and that rock you can see in the bottom of her pants i would think if a rock was there it may have fell out during her transport i mean it's just right there at the edge of the pants leg so they had moved her leg in a different position from the way she was found at the scene. However, I know they had to put her on a table and things like that. 
and her wounds to her abdomen and leg are like evenly cut. The subcutaneous tissue underneath is evenly cut. Not you got a little bit out here and a little bit out there, something inconsistent. This is like something almost kind of like a knife just cut straight across. Another thing that was very inconsistent that it made me have more questions than answers is Aiden's left leg is what is found outside the body. However, in the photos, the right side of his body is towards the front of Katie's body. His left side, where he has the injury, is towards Katie's back, where she doesn't have any major injuries on river if she was thrown she would have to have been hit by the train too in some shape or form if katie was and river don't have anything even consistent at all whatsoever with that i just actually wanted to comment on the puddle of blood near the ankle which is incredibly curious because her wound is up near her hip and then that puddle is down by her ankle which possibly somebody could argue okay maybe it drained down there But there's no blood on her jeans soaked through. We've seen the inside and the outside of the jeans, and there's no blood on them. So how did it get there if it didn't naturally drip down from the wound? All right, my name's Mark Gillespie. I'm a retired federal special agent. I also am a former forensic supervisor, director for Austin Police Department. I have a master's in forensic science from George Washington University. I started a forensic science undergraduate degree program at a local university here in Austin. I'm a private investigator. I specialize in forensic science, crime scene investigation, death investigations. When I was brought into this case, it it struck me, it hit me really hard. As a forensic scientist and a death investigator, along with being a private investigator, my job is to take the information that exists in regards to the the autopsy, the crime scene, the investigation, investigative notes, interviews, witness statements, all of that. All of those are dots out there on a marker board. And our job is to connect the dots. Some will fit, some won't fit. Some can be connected, some won't be connected. Our job is to is to connect as many dots as possible and make sense out of that resulting picture. When I reviewed the autopsy and looked at the autopsy photographs, my fir- my my initial observation is, you know, her body was found at alongside a train track. They claim it was a suicide, death by train. But not long after I looked and studied at the photographs, I quickly came to the assumption that. I questioned the cause of death determination by the medical examiner that she ruled it a death by train. And I say that because in my professional experience, having done many, many death investigations, understanding what happens to the body when you know it's cut, it's blown up, it's shot, it's stabbed, it's run over by a car, it's hit by a train. Uh, you know, I, I know what happens to the body. And in this particular case, none of her injuries were consistent with being struck by a train. And when most people think of death by death by suicide, you know, death by a train, they think of someone laying down on the tracks or, or stepping in front of a fast moving train. And keep in mind, trains generally move anywhere from 40 to 70 miles per hour, depending on the type of train. Even freight liners, you know, can, can travel very, very fast. A train is a heavy piece of fast-moving metal and steel. If it hits something, it's going to explode that item. It's going to devastate it. 
None of the injuries of Katie led me to believe that she was even touched by a train. When I look at that crime scene, as a crime scene investigator, as a death investigator, we're interested in manner of death. You know, was it a homicide, accident, suicide? Was it natural or is it undetermined? Those are all extremely critical. This was an unattended death. She was she died by herself. So there were no witnesses. We treat every investigation, every death investigation initially as as a homicide because we don't have the answers. Our job is to go through a process of elimination based on the evidence, based on the dots to determine, is it possible that someone killed her? If so, how? As an investigator, you don't always have just one fact that will tell you the whole story. In Katie's case, we have to take all available facts together and see if any support suicide and if any support homicide. You know, what was the motive? What's the, what's the evidence that points towards that? We go through this, like I said, a process of evaluation where we're eliminating homicide. Then we're, we're thinking, okay, is it possible where it's suicide? We're looking at that evidence. And with the suicide, you've got stuff that you're not going to do at a crime scene. You've got suicidology. You've got victimology. You've got psychological autopsies. You've got a lot of work to do. Uh, you're talking to, to friends, coworkers, family, employers. What's her state of mind? What's her intent? Did she have the means? Did she have the motive? Did she have the ability? What does the scene show in, in terms of suicide? Does it even support that? She was with a baby. River was without winter clothes on in 30-degree raining, terrible winter weather. That, that doesn't add up. So we go through this process of elimination, like I said, to determine what we feel is the best manner of death determination. And we do that based on a careful examination of all the evidence, not just the evidence at the scene, but the evidence obtained from witness interviews person of interest interviews, family interviews, all of that. And I tell you, I'm, I'm frankly, I was very disappointed by the lack of thoroughness by the medical examiner and, and the investigators. Crowdsourcing has been vital in Katie's case, getting new and fresh perspectives and knowledge about what information we have is producing results. Everyone who has been involved in this case has contributed to the progress that's been achieved. This group assembled here has probably put more brain effort and energy into cause and manner of death determination, investigative activities. They, I am so proud of all of you because you know what? You, you have raised questions that I promise you when I, when I look at the investigative report, the products provided by law enforcement, they don't address half of the issues that you guys have raised. And that's that's shameful. That should not happen. So I, I applaud you all for your diligence, your determination, and your you guys, you guys did a wonderful job. Getting back to the scene, when I look at and, and I'll start from head to toe, she had a wound on her on her on the left side of her forehead towards the, above the temple. That would, to me, that looked like it was more of, uh, if, if you recall in the Westerns, you know, like a person being scalped. Her head, her, she had a skin flap that looked like it was, it was cut and pulled back. She did not appear to have, and nor did the autopsy report indicate 
that she had any subdural hematoma or had any fracture to her skull or had a coup contra coup injury or any traumatic brain injury. None of that was in the report. So when I looked at that wound, it told me that she was not struck by any part of a blunt instrument. My feeling is that that, that part of her head was, was cut. Let's talk about the difference between cuts, incisions, and lacerations. A laceration is something that is, is caused by a blunt trauma. Sheila, I don't know if this is helpful or not, but I actually had a blunt force trauma to my head when I was younger, but I was uh, teaching tennis to some beginners. And we were working on serves, and I stood a little too close to somebody, and she had this really strange motion she used and hit me right on the brow bone with the edge of her tennis racket hard. And I looked like an extra from a horror movie. I mean, I have blood all over my face, running down, and that's not even remotely close to the amount of force a train would have. Well, I look at the head wound, and there's no blunt force trauma to her head. It is a clean incision. Uh, it's not a laceration, although the autopsy report states that uh, she, she suffered lacerations to her body. I adamantly disagree with those because just the appearance is, does not support the definition of a laceration. It supports a cut and in, in, in an incision. Her head wound would have bled. We all know head wounds bleed extensively. There was the, surprisingly, there was little sign of blood at the scene, despite the fact that it was raining, which some use as an argument that the rain washed the blood away. There, there would have been blood all over her face, her shoulders, her, her, the clothing. There would have been a pool of blood around behind her head where she was laying. So that's the head. We go further down. We, we, we look at her wrist. She, she had what I think is some, she had some abrasions, looked like it could have been from someone grabbing pulling her by her wrist, by her the lower part of her forearm. Uh, she had some very extensive blunt force trauma, cutting, crushing to her left hand thumb area. There was some dirt or grease. I don't know. I can't tell by the photographs exactly what it was, but I think that that was probably a defensive wound by looking at the type of wound that was on her thumb. You go down to her stomach and abdomen. The interesting thing in the photographs is that you had a stomach flap. It was like, picture the smiley face. That was the shape of her cut. I refer to it as a curvilinear cut. It's shaped in a curvilinear fashion. She's got two of those in her abdomen on her upper high right thigh. And initially, you know, some people are thinking, okay, that could be because it's shaped in a semicircle fashion. That could be a train wheel. Well, it's not. I, I have completely in my mind, and in my professional opinion, have completely ruled out a train accident or train injuries. I wasn't there. We weren't there. No one was there except possibly one or two other people. We can only guess on that. But I, since I wasn't there, I cannot say that she was not hit by a train. But of all the things that, she, that could have hit her, a train would not have made my list of possibilities. You look at her abdomen. To me, that looks like she fell smack dab hard on her elbow, anti-mortem before she died. It could have been hard, you know, hard rocks. It could have been any type of a blunt instrument just hammering into that elbow. She had uh, a jacket on. So the jacket would have accumulated a lot of that blood there. 
we have uh, the jacket though. But, but that happen. that's that's a very significant injury right there. Uh, you can see the edges. This is a good example of a of a laceration. You've got tissue bridging. You've got jagged edges. You've got tearing. You've got bruising around the the margins of the wound. The wound to her abdomen. Knowing that they speculate that she was hit by a train, the abdomen wound does not support that at all. If she was wearing clothing, you would have had corresponding cuts on the jacket that also can correspond and correlate to the cuts that are below the jacket, you know, on her body. So I, I find that very troubling. In my opinion, it looks like that flap of skin had been, the subcutaneous tissue and fat had been cut away from stomach musculature and fatty tissue and folded back. So I don't think that was caused by a blunt force injury. To me, it looks like it was definitely man-made. The wound to her thigh was also in a curvilinear fashion, the femoral artery having been severed. Keep in mind that if she was killed there and that femoral artery was damaged there, that femoral artery would have bled similar to a garden hose. And we're all familiar with the garden hose. It would have shot out everywhere, like project, almost like projectile vomiting, if, if you can imagine that. There would be a huge amount of blood left at the scene, left all over her lower legs. Uh, it, it is a nasty, nasty wound that creates a tremendous amount of blood in, in the area. One of the first things that I noticed that I felt was wrong with the pictures was the amount of blood that was at the scene is not consistent with her injury, especially a severed femoral artery. So the lack of pooling of blood by the left ankle or a small amount of blood, I don't find that uncommon because she's still bleeding. There's still blood from her thigh. The water seepage, I think, could, could allow it to accumulate down near her left ankle. I think she was placed there. I think the train tracks is what we call a secondary crime scene. I think the crime scene was staged. I think that she could have been killed in another location, brought there, pieces of tissue strewn upon the tracks to make it look like a train accident. We can talk a little bit about Aiden. I am very disturbed at the pictures when I see Aiden's left leg adjacent to Katie's left leg also. When you look at or consider a train hitting her head on or hit, hitting her to cause damage to her chest and her, her torso and her abdomen, there, were, there was no resulting injury on Aiden that shows that he was, suffered any blunt trauma, blunt force injury indicative of being hit by a train. He did, however, have an incision that looks just like the incision on Katie's head, looks similar to the incision on Katie's abdomen and her right thigh. It's clean. I hate to describe this, but if you if you look at him and he's situated in, in her stomach, laying on his left side, left foot, right hand up by his face, his left side is on the opposite side of what we see. And I think uh, there's a cut that goes from left to right, top to bottom. The wound edges are very clean, very clean. I feel that it could have been a long hunting knife that was used to inflict that wound. And then the leg was pulled out after the body was damaged enough to allow the appendage to be removed. 
that body, Aiden, poor Aiden, was undisturbed in the wound area. In our final analysis, we have this group of 10, 12 people who've done an excellent job of reviewing all the documentation, all the photographs. We actually have less than what medical examiner and law enforcement has. They have much, much more information than we have. But what is happening here is they are seeing a picture that we are not seeing. They are not seeing a picture that we are seeing. There is an incongruence here. And it, it boggles my mind to even think that they would not see and question the points that we've brought up repeatedly. To me, that sends a bad, bad signal about, their, about what's going on behind the scenes, about their competence level, about their professionalism, their ethics. Because for you lay people, and I don't mean that in a negative way, you are everyday people with a passion. For you to see things and make very astute observations, why aren't they recognizing it as well and taking action to connect the dots? Getting a medical examiner to change the ruling, how easy is that? It depends on how big the ego is. So that's one of my questions, because when I read the autopsy, I thought, well, you know, really probably was a train accident. And then you see the pictures. As soon as you see the first crime scene, and I'm, that's what I'm calling it, you're like, that's not a train accident. Did any of you guys feel that way? So I actually have my notes from the first time that I saw the photos. Multiple times I have the word SMOOTH written in all capitals. I have NO BLOOD written in all capitals. SHOCKINGLY SMOOTH. CLEAN CUT. I mean, those are just words that you can describe each of those incision type wounds. Very precise and deliberate, the injuries. Well, I don't mean to kick a dead horse, but it's, it's you know, we, we keep peeling back the, the layers on this. And every time we peel a layer back, we see something different. If you start off with the medical examiner's report, you are pretty much, you know, it's a suicide. It's a, and she was hit by a train. Her heart was bruised. Her, she died because of a heart injury which supports blunt trauma to her chest. I don't think that she was hit by a vehicle either, because when you look at, she had no ribs injured, she had no markings on her chest, Aiden wasn't damaged. I just have a hard time seeing a vehicle doing that damage to her. Yeah, she had one rib, I think it was seven on her right, on her right side, but she didn't have any, her injuries to her chest don't match a train. They don't match, in my view, a vehicle. But but when you read the autopsy report, you know, you're... Yeah, I agree with you. And that's, that's something that from our first conversation we had, I thought it was going to be, you know, she was either pushed or thrown into it, but the pictures don't line up. I just have some interesting observations about the actual autopsy. There were multiple attendants at the autopsy, which in my opinion seemed excessive. Also on the table, there was the evidence that was found with Katie's body. There was two $1 bills, two dimes, and we're all familiar with the note that was found in her pocket. These things were found in her pocket, yet it's not noted which pocket, and there's no blood. There's no blood on the letter, and there's no blood on the dollar bills. There's also her wedding rings, an engagement ring and a wedding band, and two loose stones. The engagement ring was bent 
from the inside that you would wear it. Almost like it came in force with something, either a wall or the ground. Something came in contact with that engagement ring to bend it so forcefully. However, the wedding band was perfectly round. According to Katie's mom, she wore the rings together. She didn't wear them separately, but both rings were found in her pocket. Not only was the engagement band bent, but there were two stones missing out of it that were recovered with the body. Another thing on that table with this evidence was nail clippers, presumably from the autopsy attendants or the ME. However, there's no evidence that any fingernail clippings were taken. There was also several hairs found on this tray, short, darker hairs, no evidence that those hairs were ever examined. Those things kind of made me wonder. So in the autopsy, there are photos of everybody in attendance in various work fashion. There were two men in uniforms that look like law enforcement uniforms. One has been identified as a Berkeley County Sheriff's officer. The other uniform is unknown to me. We still have not nailed that one down. There is the ME, Kim. There is also an assistant. But there's also three other people there. And one of them is a female with a clipboard. She's wearing a lanyard with a badge. However, the badge is turned around. And as much as I've tried zooming, I can't make out what it says. We did try to find out who was in attendance. It's not noted on the autopsy report. What's noted is the officer, the ME, and the technician, Raymond. No one else is identified as being in attendance. It shows the, for lack of a nicer term, the sloppiness that really we're seeing in in almost all of the official documents. Things that should have been done that weren't. Things that should have been logged that weren't. Things that should have been noted that weren't. Something else to note about the autopsies is when we got them, we were kind of expecting to maybe be able to look at something in addition to the words on paper, but there were no diagrams or anything of that nature done. We just had the autopsy report and that was it. Where Lori was talking a moment ago about sloppiness at the crime scene, one thing when we were looking at a picture of River out in the water from a distance, and you, I mean, you couldn't really tell it was her at that moment, but there was a jacket, a police officer's jacket, hanging on the sign there at the scene. I mean, just very close to where it all started. I just found that to be, I mean, if that's your crime scene, you don't want to just be laying your stuff like that around. And maybe that was the beginning of the scene or something, but I don't know. That just really troubled me that they're just hanging their jackets up there while they're taking pictures and things and didn't go put it back in their vehicle. Going along with what Jessica just said, there's a white, what I assume to be a evidence or body bag that's folded up just laying in the rocks in several of those photos as well, while Katie is still at the scene. Something about the clothing too, is when I first saw it, my first thought that came to my head was almost that the clothing was cut to showcase the wounds. Because everywhere that there was a wound, almost there was a hole in the clothing, but that hole in the clothing didn't match the actual wound itself. It was clean. And Vicky said, Danielle, correct me if I'm wrong, Vicky said that those aren't the clothes she would have been wearing. And those were not the clothes she was wearing that day. 
So, and the back slit is the thing that just grabs me the most. You know, there's no correlating wound. to. Aiden was very undisturbed how he's laying in utero. You know, if, if the leg had tried to been, it's the leg that's underneath him and the hip sadly came with it. In my opinion, there'd be some twisting of the body as that's trying to come out, but he is laying very peacefully on his side and, and looks very undisturbed to me in my unprofessional opinion. Experts can only get you as far as they are willing to have open minds and humble spirits. The passion and dedication that the women and men that have joined me on this journey have gotten so much more information than any expert has. And I'm so grateful. We're going to take a break for a few weeks to assess all the new information that's come in. But we will be back with more Without Warning Katie Major Investigation Derailed soon. And you won't want to miss it. We just took a look at Katie's injuries. And when we come back, it'll be time to look at Aaron's. If you have any information you want to share on the podcast regarding the deaths of Katie, River, or Aiden, email tips at SheilaWysocki.com or call 1-888-599-0008. Join Patreon and crowdsource justice with private investigator Sheila Wysocki. If you or someone you know is dealing with suicidal ideation or is actively thinking about taking their life, please call the National Suicide Hotline at one 800 273-8255. Without Warning Podcast, Season 3 Investigation, Derailed. Executive Director, Executive Producer, and Host, Sheila Waisaki. And Announcer, Tim Evans. Thank you to Lori Morrison of the podcast, The Unlovely Truth. Thank you to Danielle Birch, Chelsea Sarkowskis, and Private Investigator Jenny Moore for their boots-to-the-ground, passionate, laser-focused research. 